You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Welcome everyone. Welcome to our 6th Europe China Forum. I'm delighted to see so many of you here. I know there are big traffic problems outside, so you've really overcome quite a few obstacles to be here. So thank you indeed for being here. Um, just a few words from me before we start our discussion. Uh, as you know, we've uh, entitled our forum, our discussion today, about EU-China cooperation in an age of uncertainty. And it is an age of uncertainty. It is an age of unpredictable developments and events. But I think three things appear to be rather certain, even in this volatile world. One, I think most of us here would agree that Europe has bounced back. We faced several crises last year. There was Brexit, and we were afraid of the tide of populism that was seeming to engulf parts of Europe. Well, I think we've shown a certain degree of resilience and resistance to that, and I think we've come out of it, I hope, we all hope, slightly stronger. We also know that even in this age of uncertainty, China is becoming increasingly important. Its growth, its development impacts on the region, on Asia. Asia rises because China is rising, but also beyond Asia. It impacts on the global stage. And for proof of that, I think we only have to look back a few weeks to the Belt and Road Forum held in Beijing. And we know that there, China really made an impressive impression on everyone who was there, hundreds of, uh, hundreds of people. I was privileged to be there as well. And the third thing, which is unfortunate but which is happening, is America's retreat from the global stage. We've seen that with the TPP negotiations. We've seen that with climate change. And we may see other developments in America that impact on the rest of the world as well, which is why... We think, at Friends of Europe, that EU-China cooperation is very important. A strong Europe and a strong China can take up the baton and run with it uh, when it comes to multilateral governance and other issues, climate change, trade liberalization, and other issues. So I'm delighted, as I said, to welcome you, all of you here and also delighted to have as partners the Chinese mission to the EU. Thank you very much indeed, Madam Ambassador, for your presence here and for your cooperation and our partners, our think tank partners in China, the China Institute for Reform and Development, CIRD, and the China Public Diplomacy Association. Madam Ambassador, please could I ask you to come to the lectern. Distinguished participants, ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be back at the China-EU Forum. First of all, many thanks to our host, Friends of Europe, for, out, for the outstanding work in putting this event together and for its long-standing commitment, support and contribution to the China-EU strategic partnership. If my memory serves me right, I last spoke here in 2015, right after the 17th China-EU summit, a summit held amidst the Greek debt crisis. And today, 
I'm here in the wake of the 19th China-EU summit, a summit convened against a much more complex global environment. <clears throat> Restructuring of global industrial supply and value chains is accelerating, and after six years of disappointing growth, the world economy is gaining momentum, holding out the promise of more jobs, higher incomes, and greater prosperity going forward. Yet, there is growing discontent over globalization, rising trend of protectionism, doubts about the benefits of economic integration and the multilateral framework underpinning the global economy. Under such circumstances, how China and the EU handle their relations and respond to global challenges are quite on the minds of policymakers, business communities, and the general public alike. Coming fresh from the summit, I'm heartened to say that China-EU relations are excellent and are growing. There's new momentum, there's new energy, and there's new hope and bright prospect to realize the full potential of their comprehensive strategic partnership. Both China and the EU are of the view that as the two largest economies and key players in the world, our relationship has never been more important and we have both a great opportunity and a great responsibility to cooperate and work together. Specifically speaking, there are several areas where the two sides have agreed to focus on. Firstly, fulfill international obligations and strive to foster an open world economy. To preserve the benefits of openness and address the downsides of globalization, China and the EU, together with the international community, must continue to uphold the rule-based, transparent, non-discriminatory, open and inclusive multilateral trade system, act resolutely against protectionism in all its manifestations, and make economic globalization more open, inclusive, balanced, and beneficial to all. Given that we all depend on an open, inclusive, and fair global trade system to thrive, China hopes that the EU will fulfill its international obligation under Article 15 of China's WTO accession protocol and ensure its ongoing amending process of relevant legislation will be consistent with WTO rules. Secondly, deepen mutually beneficial cooperation with a special focus on speeding up negotiations on China investment agreement, working for the early launch of a joint feasibility study for China-EU free trade area, enhancing synergies between the Belt and Road Initiative and the Investment Plan for Europe, promoting connectivity, strengthening cooperation in the digital area, science and technology and innovation, intellectual property, urbanization, energy efficiency and renewable energy, circular economy, 
environment management, and biodiversity protection. To add value to their cooperation, China and the EU will strive to promote cooperation between SMEs and explore cooperation on ocean management. Towards such an end, we'll mark this year China-EU Blue Year. Thirdly, expand people-to-people -people exchanges and stimulate cultural growth. Encouraged by the growing interactions between our peoples, we will reach further beyond government offices and corporate boardrooms to the hearts and minds of our peoples to facilitate vibrant development of people-to-people -people exchanges and communication and cooperation in the areas of education, media, youth, gender equality and sport, we will further strengthen our dialogue on migration and mobility and to streamline the procedures of short-stay visa application for all non-diplomatic passport holders from both sides. To better understand and appreciate each other's culture and strengthen friendship and connectivity, China and the EU will hold a successful 2018 China-EU Tourism Year. Fourthly, uphold the purposes and principles of the UN Charter and work constructively together to meet the new and emerging challenges of the 21st century. We will step up coordination and rein in hotspot issues through dialogue and political settlement and contribute to promoting world peace and stability. We will intensify collaboration on the implementation of the Paris Agreement, Agenda 2030, and other increasing number of issues, global economic governance within the G20, counterterrorism, and non-proliferation. The list is inexhaustible. Last but not least, resolve differences through constructive dialogue. China and the EU share similar views on many issues, and we have worked well together to advance these common interests. Yet, our relationship is not problem-free. Going forward, there will continue to be problems and trade irritants from time to time. Yet, sharing the belief in consultations and consensus building for mutually beneficial results China stands ready to address differences creatively, constructively, and confidently with the EU through the useful dialogue mechanisms, including the latest China-EU steel trade mechanism. Having said the above, I wish to underline the following points with regard to managing our relationships, since amid the headlines that tend to focus on differences, it is easy to lose sight of the larger picture and megatrends that anchor our relationship. First, remain committed to promoting development through deepening reform. We know only too well that in a world of constant change, success belongs to those who work hard and adept at adapting to change. China never has the luxury of not planning for the future and not staying relevant. 
painful and daunting as it is, China is pressing ahead with comprehensive reform and restructuring to turn the vision of innovative, coordinated, green, open and shared development into reality. Second, set great store by upholding inclusiveness and improving the open economy. Neither China nor the EU believes that their interests are best served by turning inwards and by excluding each other. China stands fast by remaining open. Not only are we expanding market access, but also vigorously promoting free and fair competition and ensure that there is a level playing field for all companies, Chinese or foreign, that we are engaged in the negotiation of a China-EU investment agreement is precisely aiming at fostering a more open, equitable, transparent and predictable business environment and ensure greater market access to each other. And given that our two economies are highly interdependent, China is committed to fostering together with the EU greater sense of inclusiveness rather than exclusiveness and cooperation rather than confrontation. Third, stand for win-win and reject zero-sum approach. We are following with great interest the debate across Europe about its future and on harnessing globalization. Like many others, we are concerned about the impact of the challenges faced by the EU on its willingness to integrate and to cooperate. The sense of malaise and the tendency of a turning negative on globalization is worrying. China's approach towards economic globalization was eloquently articulated by President Xi Jinping in his keynote speech in Davos earlier this year. Like it or not, globalization is the big ocean that one cannot escape from. The right option should be acting proactively and managing economic globalization as appropriate. While striving to compete on our own merits and strength, we will also enhance coordination and collaboration with the EU and other countries to address imbalances, disparities, and inequalities both within and between nations and cushion the negative impact of globalization and ensure that every nation strive to achieve its own potential through access to opportunities. Just like rising tide lifts all boats, we should all endeavor to broaden and deepen our cooperation so as to make the cake of mutual benefits bigger and tastier. Fourth, put things in perspective and not miss the woods for the trees. As I said before, China and the EU do have differences. We have to be frank and direct in addressing them in a constructive and pragmatic manner. Yet, at the same time, we should not allow ourselves to go astray and to be confused and misled by reductive reasoning and the rhetoric of putting up barriers and going to trade war against each other. Instead, we should always keep in sight our broad objective of prosperity 
and the shared perspective of cooperation. It must be recognized that never before have our common interests and concerted efforts created such tremendous business opportunities, growth opportunities, and job opportunities for each other. Looking into the future, a closer and growing cooperation in areas we can work, where we can work together will enable us to handle and manage the areas where we differ. Fifth, continue to build trust and confidence. A crucial element of China-EU partnership is a strong foundation of mutual trust. To cement this foundation, there should be genuine effort to communicate in an objective and comprehensive manner. Selective and biased information on business environment in China, for instance, is not helpful to enable the market to get the right perception and necessary confidence. And, to, and it will prevent both sides to tap the full potential of their cooperation. High-level mutual trust also calls for rational expectations and realistic perspectives. As Premier Li Keqiang said during the 12th China-EU Business Summit, China and Europe differ in levels of economic development and industrial structures, their priorities, extent and speed of opening up may vary as well. It would be inadvisable to make simplistic comparison in the areas and levels of openness or to go after one-for-one -one reciprocity in openness. What is important is to see whether the gains from mutual openness are genuinely balanced. A key imperative of mutual trust is also dependent upon strengthening of mutual understanding and cooperation between our business communities and intellectuals. I'm therefore very encouraged about the eagerness of both sides to engage in events like today's. I hope that our, both our enterprises and think tanks will continue to communicate with each other, help each other, empower each other, to fill each other's development and progress far into the future. In conclusion, ours is not a new journey, nor a new beginning, but the China-EU summit offered a new promise of great future for China-EU comprehensive strategic partnership featuring the promotion of peace, growth, reform, and civilization. At the time when countries around the world are faced up to some very hard truths and have to take difficult decisions, China and the EU are steadfast and persistent in choosing the right option. We do not complain about ourselves, blame each other, lose confidence or run away from responsibilities. We are joining hands and rising to the challenges and we will encounter international uncertainties with our sound and stable relationship and our consistent commitment to world peace, prosperity, and progress. With that, I wish you fruitful and successful deliberations for the rest of the forum. Thank you.
Thank you, Madam Ambassador. Some very, very strong comments there and some very useful advice as we go forward. You've looked at the broader picture, but you've also gone into the details. And that is what Friends of Europe is all about, the bigger picture, but also practical steps on how to work together. Um, I realize now that I did not introduce myself. I'm Shada Islam. I'm Director for Europe and Geopolitics. Uh, at Friends of Europe. Our first session is about the Belt and Road Initiative and we'll be looking at different facets of this BRI. It's become what uh, President Xi Jinping said in Beijing, the project of the century. All eyes are on this project. We need to know more, we need more information, and we really are encouraged by our businesses who are very, very interested in this uh, new initiative. Uh, to discuss the initiative uh, here, we have Dr. Shifulin, uh, President of the China Institute for Reform and Development, CIRD. CIRD is a very strong partner of ours, so welcome, Dr. Shifulin. Uh, Andres Pildegovic, uh, State Secretary for Foreign Affairs of Latvia. He is a sinologist and a former Latvian ambassador to many, many important countries. Thank you very much, uh, Andres, for being here. We also have the pleasure of having Pino Mussolino. He is president of the North Adriatic Seaport Authority, uh, which brings the Venice and uh, Chogia ports together under a unified administrative system. Ms. Ying Zhang is Associate Dean for China Relations at the Erasmus University in Rotterdam. Mr. Zhao Jingping is Director General for Research uh, at the Research Department of Foreign Economic Relations at the Development Research Center of the State Council, the DRC in China, and a leading voice on international economy and foreign trade. Uh, Hans-Jörg Schmidt-Trenz from their representative and counselor of the Hamburg Chamber of Commerce. As you all know, the Hamburg Chamber of Commerce organizes the bi biennial uh, China Meets Europe uh, Summit in, in Hamburg, which is attended by many, many people, myself included, I have to say. Thank you for that. Uh, before we start the panel discussion, we're also delighted to have a message from Ambassador Hans Deitmar Schweiskut. He is the EU ambassador in Beijing, and he has sent us a short message, which will be read out by my friend and colleague, Asad Beg, Minister Counselor at the Mission in Beijing. Asad, would you like to come up here? Good morning. I'm very happy to participate in today's meeting. Uh, members of, of the European Parliament, Shada, uh, dear friends, I, today's uh, message is coming from Ambassador Schweiskut, who is actually on a, on a mission to Tibet with a number of EU ambassadors, so I'll, I'll read out his message. The annual EU-China Forum has firmly established itself on the map of key think tank events, and he, and he congratulates the Friends of Europe for hosting the seventh edition. This is no exception, and we can see this as an ambitious program uh, set up for a very high-level meeting. The complexity of our age means that nobody can tackle alone the challenges that we face. At the latest 19th EU-China summit, it came out very clearly that we need a strong and predictable partnership in a world of growing uncertainty. And that indeed we can deliver 
security, peace and prosperity for our citizens. EU and Chinese leaders reaffirm their commitment to implement the 2015 Paris Agreement on Climate Change and endorse the importance of fostering cooperation in their energy policies. This demonstrates that only by living up to principles and jointly standing up for them in the international arena that the EU and China can contribute to the resolution of some of the most prominent problems that we face today and that we will face tomorrow. Also, the European Union and China traditionally work on economic and trade issues, and these are extending to embrace new areas of investment, services, procurement, intellectual property rights to ensure sustainable and inclusive growth. What are the watchwords? The watchwords are reciprocity, market access, and a level playing field. And these are increasingly important for our bilateral relationship. And once in place, this will allow us to explore new opportunities in the context of globalization. Earlier this year, as mentioned by Ambassador Yang in Davos, President Xi Jinping won international attention and plaudits when he laid out China's own vision for an open and fair global trading system. This reflects China's dependence on open markets abroad and China's need for a truly open and predictable economy back home. And these, this is the way for China to become an incubator for innovation and economic upgrading in the future. If and when we see this becoming reality, our interests converge. In this regard, the, the topic of today, um, the Belt and Road Initiative, connectivity is a global trend and a major driving force of the EU-China relationship. Done in the right way, more investment in cross-border infrastructure links would unleash growth potential with benefits for all. On this basis, the EU therefore welcomes China's One Belt, One Road initiative and along with its member states participated actively in the recent Belt and Road Forum that Shada also attended. The EU-China connectivity platform is the prime forum where both sides work together to find synergies between China's Belt and Road Initiative, the Idailu, and the EU's own connectivity initiatives. Indeed, the trans-European networks closely linked to the Juncker Plan are already extending east and south in full cooperation with the countries concerned. Um, in my closing remarks, um, on behalf of the Ambassador, I'd like to share with you four main principles that the EU believes us would be the keys to success for Eurasian connectivity. The first, inclusiveness. All countries involved must be in a position to benefit from these new routes. Infrastructure projects must be designed in an open and transparent manner based on market rules and international standards and that all parties have a say on priorities. Secondly, reciprocity. 
operations should be opened to all interested parties in full compliance with respective legislation. These resulting networks need to be truly interoperable, including all modes of transport, digital, energy, and people-to-people -people contacts, bringing down barriers rather than creating new ones. Thirdly, sustainability. It's important that these projects are sustainable economically and environmentally. They should be economically viable and environmentally friendly. The fourth principle is innovation, and we look forward to a preference for low-carbon and innovative solutions. Um, Eurasian connectivity is not an end in itself. Of course, it must deliver benefits to all our citizens and to the poorer parts of the world. This is a, this is a great ambition that the European Union and, and China share today. And in times of geopolitical uncertainty, I think this, may only, this is the only way forward for us today. What I'd like to end on, I think, is looking at, at the decor here. Um, maybe we are, it reminds me of a, of a Roman forum. We are celebrating this year the 60th anniversary of the Treaty of Rome, Treaties of Rome. Um, in the time of ancient Rome, the forum was a marketplace, a marketplace for, for goods, for people coming together, trading silk and other things. But I think today this forum is, is a marketplace of ideas, and I hope that this will bring our relationship forward, and I look forward to the, to the uh, discussion that will be moderated and championed by Shada. So on behalf of the Ambassador Schweizgut, I'd like to w wish this forum a great uh, energy and dynamism and to contribute to the conversation of EU-China relations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Asad. Uh, and now let's start the discussion, guys. We've, been, we've heard some very good comments from the policymakers, and now we get, want to get comments from our panel as well. The rules have changed. The rules of the game are no longer that you can make speeches, and you know that. Uh, I think we have a five-minute uh, timeline for each initial contribution, initial intervention, and I'm going to kick off immediately with uh, Dr. Shi Fulin. Dr. Shi Fulin, so we had the... We had the Belt and Road Forum uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, how is China uh, maintaining the momentum, the, the, the buzz that was created by that forum? And how do you see EU-China working together uh, within the BRI? From your perspective, you're one of the leading thinkers in China on economic issues. Flows yours. Thank you very much. To talk about One Belt, Run Road here, a very important point that we need to address is how can we pragmatically promote the cooperation between the China and the EU? Since we don't have much time, I think let's just address a few key issues. The first issue is that how can we pragmatically promote 
One Bell, One Road. What are the issues that are most pressing that need to be resolved? What are the key concepts that we need to focus on? I think it's important for us to rethink One Bell, One Road. Why is that? One, China and EU both have to protect and embrace free trade. If we cannot do that, there's no, we cannot do more. Secondly, we need to also promote free trade along with the integration between China and the EU into the Asia-Europe cooperation. So the integration of Asia-Europe cooperation will be extremely meaningful for the implementation of One Belt, One Road. What is the complementary effect of OBOR? Can it be beneficial to both China and Europe? I think the answer is clear. Let me share with you an example. The upgrading of the consumption structure in China has proven that there is a need for One Belt, One Road. Also, in terms of the consumption of the urban areas is about 40 percent, and it's growing by 2 percent per annum. By 2020, if the services consumption can occupy about 50 percent of consumption, then you can imagine how big the market is. Health care demand will be at the tune of a hundred thousand billion renminbi. So against this backdrop, the advantages that EU enjoys in services can very much work in line with the demand of the Chinese market. So this is a clear trend that we have to observe. It is an issue of supply and demand. Is it feasible? Is it possible for us to set up a China-EU free trade zone? Currently, this is a question that we can ask the, uh, the DG Trade, for example. Is it possible for us to join the BIT discussions with a discussions on setting up a China-EU free trade zone? Maybe I see you shaking your head. The BIT and, the, and to set up a China-EU free trade zone, I believe this is becoming more and more imperative. Because, in fact, when we are talking about investment agreement, we are really talking about services, trade in services. China is very much focusing its reform on the services trade. So, in that respect, as China opens up its market, Europe also has to open up its market. If we can pragmatically promote trade along the One Belt, One Road route, then I believe we will be both be very successful.
yesterday during the roundtable, I heard that that there has already been a framework already exists for the investment agreement between the two sides. But the fact is, we live in an era of uncertainty. There are a lot of risks. So against this backdrop of uncertainty, how can we rethink, how do we rethink our future approach? So what are the choices that we need to make when we opt for the One Belt, One Road initiative? So I believe we need to change the status quo. We need to change our original action plan. We need to change the way that we perceive China-EU trade. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Shifrin. We will have, uh, sorry. We will have the Commissioner for Trade, Cecilia Malmstrom, later on uh, today. So I think these are the issues that we will put to her directly. But can I just follow up very quickly with you, Dr. Shifulin? Yesterday, also at the Think Tank Roundtable, we talked about uh, working EU-China working together uh, along the route in third countries. So the 64, 65 countries that are along the route of this ambitious blueprint, that EU and China would have possibilities of working together in that area. Can you elaborate a tiny little bit on that? One Belt, One Road uh, for the uh, third country cooperation, China-EU has already carried out uh, this kind of uh, cooperation. But I also want to draw your attention to the uh, future potential, and that is a One Belt, One Road initiative with the uh, uh, free trade uh, um, complies with the free trade. And in the future, we'll see there's a multilateral free trade network. So to reply to your question, the China-EU FTA, if we can make it into a good example, and that would also facilitate the overall One Belt, One Road free trade network, and then also furthering the integration along the One Belt, One Road. Thank you. These are really ambitious plans and demand quite a change in our mindsets. But thank you for giving us that insight. And I think this is the place for uh, new and different and creative ideas. Andres, um, uh, Latvia hosted the 16 plus 1 uh, summit in Riga last November. And in the EU, there has been some concern, and not necessarily by the Commission or the External Action Service, but by people saying, well, this is dividing the European Union. This is creating divisions within the 27 countries, 28 still today. Give us your insights into how you see the whole process. Thank you, Shada. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back to this forum, and thank you for inviting me again. It was a pleasure to talk here uh, two years ago during Latvian presidency when we were promoting ASEM, EU relationship, and Latvia at that time was hosting transportation ministerial and ministerial for, for science and education. I think we have gone a long way since then, over the last two, three years. Uh, I think uh, we have a plenty of empirical data suggesting that uh, Belt and Road Initiative has produced good results. Uh, debate within European Union, I think, has moved forward considerably. And you're absolutely right. The summit which Latvia hosted uh, last November 
and the visit by Prime Minister Li Keqiang to Latvia was, was, a, was a tremendous success. And I think uh, this 16 plus 1 format was recognized as a regional platform by the Foreign Affairs Council of European Union. Uh, I think it's not a coincidence that uh, three uh, members of this panel representing big ports and big uh, uh, states and uh, entities dealing with, uh, with uh, ports, transportation facilities, logistics, be it Adriatic, be it Baltic Sea or, or major European ports, we certainly are most interested in uh, developing the traditional means of transportation as well as uh, issues which were discussed by both ambassadors, digital connectivity, people-to-people -people connectivity. And, and I think just, just not to burn you, burden you with the data, but uh, when it comes to Latvia, we have good outcome of the last five years of cooperation. Uh, as most of EU member states, we used to have a very negative tra trade balance. It used to be 1 to 10, now it's 1 to 4. Uh -huh. So it's, there is a visible positive trend. The number of uh, Chinese uh, investors have grown, and we are not just talking about real estate, but production, manufacturing, and transfer of some technologies, not only from Europe to China, but from China to, to EU member states. The number of Chinese students has tripled. The number of Chinese visitors have doubled over the last year. And, and I think uh, the trend is quite, quite positive. If I am allowed, I would like to expand a little bit on the issue, question which you asked to my colleague uh, a few minutes before. We really tried to extend the limits of possible for Belt and Road Initiative on a regional platform. And when we hosted the summit in Riga, we wanted to expand the participants, the scope of participants. Originally, there were 16 countries, which are EU member states, associated members and future members of Europe. But we came with a regional idea to bring in countries like Belarus to the table, Eurasian connection. And here comes the issue of integration of integrations, how to create conditions, legislative frameworks, standards for really developing Eurasian trade. And participation of Belarusian prime minister, I think, was a very welcome initiative. And we are grateful that Chinese government accepted that. We also have uh, other EU member states, Austria and Greece and uh, Switzerland, a close partner of Europe, in the forum. And we believe that this inclusive nation, nature of Belt and Road Initiative is very important. And of course, uh, as the saying goes, we stand where we sit. For us, uh, connectivity through Eurasia is quite important and bringing in countries of Central Asia is, is very important as well. We believe that uh, the issues which we are di discussing today are important to integrate in our EU Central Asia strategy. And, uh, and uh, I fully agree with, uh, with the comments of uh, Ambassador Schweingut that, that uh, level playing field, uh, clarity on the terms, what, is in what are loans and what are investments are important. And, and we have to work uh, further on, on standardization issues. Mm. So, Andres, uh, if... Uh if you were to be visionary, Europeans can be visionary too, right? So if we want to be visionary, this Eurasian FTA idea that Dr. Shifulin has talked about, is it, is it something that we would, could be attracted to in, say, 10, 20 years, and we could start laying the groundwork now, or is it just something out of our... Uh, are we out of our depth when we talk about it? I think we have to be bold and we have to be ambitious. It should be one of our future 
guiding stars. Of course, uh, process is quite complicated. Investment protection agreement is definitely one of the next building blocks. But there is uh, those who speak Chinese, they know the saying, uh, which means if united, you can move even Taishan Mountain. So I think uh, this, is the, this is the method which, which we'll have to use in the future to succeed. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I'm sure there'll be questions to you in, uh, about the details also, but thank you very much for giving us your ideas. Ying Zhang, so we've talked about the project of the century, and Xi Jinping president said in Beijing, this is about open, connected, inclusive, and we're moving forward in this. What were your key takeaways from the BRF? Yeah, firstly, I would like to thank you, Shana, uh, to invite me being here and discuss with uh, uh, all the audience and uh, colleagues uh, such an important question. Um, um, today's topic is about One Belt, One Road initiative, but from a scholar perspective, I would say that this is not initiative. This is actually the revisit and the rev uh, revival of One Belt, One Road, of Silk Road. So we were being that uh, Davos uh, in January that President Xi Jinping mentioned about that, okay, we will have this inclusive sharing economy concept for the world, and we will have a summit in Beijing. But I would like to also say that uh, um, a few hours ago that the new message from the WEF, uh, World uh, Economy Forum, uh, one of the sessions happened in China a few hours ago about uh, China's uh, development championship. Uh, uh, Prime Minister uh, Li Keqiang actually mentioned that um, China is going to be uh, very responsible for the whole world uh, development, and China's mass uh, entrepreneurship actually per month creates 18,000 new companies, uh, which means that a lot of people got job. But this job is not only we call it a necessity job. This is innovation opportunity-based jobs. Uh, most of these uh, companies and jobs are Internet Plus, so it's very uh, innovation. Uh, perspective uh, creation uh, in the economy. And secondly, also mentioned from this, uh, uh, from this forum a few hours ago, saying that China is going to cut tremendously uh, tax in order to uh, give the business easiness. Uh, domestically and uh, also internationally, and also would like to offer more space, more access for foreign investment, um, which actually cover the topics that uh, we discussed yesterday. So, um, um, and based on my research, I would say that uh, if we look at uh, the four generation, four different industrial revolution, the interesting pattern is that every industrial revolution uh, brought a couple of countries being great. We can name it easily. But China is exceptional because China being great in the third industrial revolution, catching up the efficiency orientation entrepreneurship. But right now in the fourth generation, fourth industrial revolution, digitalization and AR, China is leading, it's not only taking part of it. So it's quite important transition moment that we need some country or someone visionary leading that the whole population to, uh, to grow greater 
to be more uh, uh, tolerate each other, trust each other, inclusive to each other. We mentioned a lot of times like, like inclusive growth, but I'm not sure whether you know, every stakeholder understands this inclusiveness. Um, uh, in principle, inclusiveness meaning that uh, the elasticity of our culture. So we have to accept the weakness and the strength of each other. We have to accept uh, your different uh, characters. We have to understand how to tailor-make and customize the right. e economic and social and environmental growth. And we talk, about, uh, uh, we talk a lot about sustainability, right? And we talk a lot saying that sustainability is three legs, including um, social, economic, and the environment. And in order to, uh, in order to try to deal with the climate change, but actually, in my view, it's not dealing with climate change, it's dealing with ourselves. We are saving ourselves, we're not going to save the planet. So, so in this sense, I really appreciate that uh, uh, Chinese leaders that revisit 2,000 years ago this great idea about inclusive uh, integration of the world uh, economy and the world culture that bring everyone together. And, and, also, and also we could understand that uh, like from the European part, they said, oh, there is no blue, uh, blueprint, uh, there is no plan, but come on, this is a century project. Need everyone together to get a plan together rather than only China. So uh, great idea and uh, open to everyone, even open to U.S. So I think uh, we should be hold hand together and get uh, the next step forward. That's my uh, point. Thank you very much. So inclusiveness, but also innovation. <laughs> innovation also, a source of innovation, creativity, uh, technology development. Thank you very much indeed. Pino, if I could ask you, um, so you're here on the, on the panel on the Belt and Road, and how, how do you see it? I mean, as from the port's point of view, is this something that you are uh, seizing the opportunities that are becoming available? Well, clearly. Uh, well, let me just uh, make a, a short statement, uh, an introductory statement. I'm, I'm so glad of, of the, some key words that I've heard today already from uh, Madam the Ambassador and then all the other well-esteemed and well-learned panelists that, that spoke before me. I mean, some words are really, really significant. I mean, you know, first of all, pragmatism. We have spoken in the last three years, four years, quite a lot about the uh, Obor or Idai Ilu. It has a lot of names. We, we should also decide how to call it once <laughs> and for all. Uh, but uh, aside of that, you know, we have talked a lot since it's a very ambitious program and, and it's a great project and it has a lot of, of you know, uh, side effects and, and potential effects on, on our societies. But we haven't really decided what are the outcomes that we want to have from that at least from, uh, from what I've seen. So that's why we, we need to be really, really pragmatic. And uh, let's talk to the basics, to the fundamentals. What do we want to obtain with this vision? And, you know, so essentially what we have, well, some keywords that are then reflecting on what can be done as, uh, you know, a key player in, in the infrastructure chain as a, as a port authority that I represent. Uh, we need to have a vision. 
And that vision is already there. Mr. Xi Jinping has outlined it very well. The Chinese government is working hard on that. Probably on the European side, we haven't catched up so fast to the idea. And we need to work on that in order to bring both, both levels on, on, on the same ground. And second point, as I already said, we need to be pragmatic. We, we, of course, we need to have a, this big vision, but we also need to be realistic on what can be achieved in the short, mid, and long run. If we want to have, you know, the uh, final result already on the table, we, we risk to stumble and make a mess. So we, we need to start the marathon with the first step and not thinking about the 42 kilometers afterwards. We will reach eventually the, the, the final goal through the, all the intermediate steps. And then we need to have clarity, because without clarity, we can't have a, a results out of the vision. So what are we really looking for? What are the main goals that we are trying to achieve? Focus on the needs. Infrastructure needs, for example, free trade needs, this is fantastic. And, and think about, you know, we're talking about an age of uncertainties, but think about how amazing is a world where, you know, nowadays, 2017, China is talking about free trade and America is talking about protectionism. Nobody would have believed that 10 years ago. So, you know, an age of uncertainty is also an age in which you can have a positive disruption not just a negative disruption. And what we're trying to do here with the OBOR initiative is to have a positive disruption of the world, erasing or moving forward from the status quo in order to build a new, you know, well, 20 years ago it was very fashionable to say a new world order, but we, 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 we don't need to go back to that. But we can build a new way of talking and dealing with each other, not just as countries, but as a world community of players. You know, I, I, I don't really think, in a, in a globalized world, we can't think anymore about full national borders as the states, the nation states that were born in 18th century. We are now, we're living a reality that has no borders, and how this can be achieved. Of course, it can be achieved, again, going back to the pragmatism, thinking about how small steps can create a momentum. Small steps are, for example, implementing a policy of needed infrastructures that can fastly, efficiently connect the eastern part of the planet with the western part of the planet. And I have the luck and I take the pride to represent the port of Venice that in every single PowerPoint or presentation or document on the OBOR is the westernmost point of the project, you know, deep inside Europe. So, of course, we are really, really focused on that, but we can't and we will not talk about pure, you know, building infrastructures, but we want to talk about what is really needed. What are the needs of China and what are the needs of EU? Because bear in mind that when you are a core port of Europe, like we are, inserted in the 10T uh, network, we are not just serving our country. We are a point of entry, a gateway for the whole union, where goods are arriving, can be uh, custom cleared, and then enter into the flow of goods that are circulating within the union. So that, that's a key position that we need to clarify and we need to understand what are the real, real actual needs and move from there. From there, we can have an understanding of what can be done in the future in order to create a more open world, a more open way of dealing with our neighbors near and far, and in a way that we can create a stable growth and development for all the people involved, so essentially the planet. Uh, because it's about time that we move forward from the age of walls and the age of closeness and we go and embrace the age of openness and globalization in a positive way. And this is what I can see and what I foresee can be the Ober initiative in, in the 21st century. 
So, so very strong points. I mean, pragmatic, visionary, but also you need to know the actual needs. So I was just wondering, yesterday at the roundtable, um, there was a, a reference to, you know, remember when Henry Kissinger said, when I have a problem, who do I call in Europe? Um, which number do I call? And one of our uh, participants said, on the BRI, which number do we call to get more information? Which number do you call? <laughs> well, <laughs> unfortunately, there's not a, you know, a guide or, or a reference on, online, but you know, essentially what we have done so far it was establishing, together with the a, with a diplomatic channels of our country, uh, some uh, you know, lines of communication with the NDRC in Beijing, which is essentially the guys that are holding the bag with the money, <laughs> so to say, but also you know, with the national government, the Ministry of Transport of China, and, and Costco. Yeah. It is actually a great player on the shipping markets. So we're, we're talking with all these people and we're exchanging ideas and, and trying to understand where we can mutually be uh, you know, favorable in our relationships because it's pointless if I give you something that you don't want. It's okay, it's a present, but it's an unwanted present. So we, we have to focus on what it's really needed on both sides in order to make the whole process smooth yeah. and fast. Yeah. So learning by doing in a sense at the moment. So yeah. far, yeah. I think that that's the, that's the best part. Yeah. Uh, so, Mr. Zhao Jinping, would you like to give us your insights about what is the economic uh, facet of the BRI? Thank you, dear moderator. I really like uh, your moderating style because uh, her talents as a moderator also have been fully shown in yesterday's roundtable discussion. I fully respect the rule she set. And just a small request, that is, can you allow me to finish what I want to say? And then you can reduce the frequency of my discussions or talks. In the earlier session, Shada mentioned that we are now living in a time of uncertainty. And there are three examples to demonstrate this. One is what's happening in the EU. Second is what is happening in China and the construction of the One Belt, One Road initiative. And the third example is the new presidency of, at, in the United States. So the uncertainties that we are facing, we need to understand which are the passive uncertainties uncertainties that are not good for the world, and what are some positive and, um, and th some positive uncertainties that may bring about good results. So we need to actually make, discern the differences between the different uncertainties. And what role can One Belt, One Road play in the global economy? I believe the role that One Belt, One Road plays is one of a positive uncertainty and one that will achieve consensus among the different players. I would like to approach this issue from four different perspectives. First of all, One Belt, One Road is, has become a point of focus in the international community. In the last three years, we have seen a lot of discussion surrounding One Belt, One Road. More than 100 countries and international organizations have expressed their interest in participating in One Belt, One Road. Many countries have struck agreements with China 
and uh, different documents have been drafted with regard to One Belt, One Road, including the United Nations and the in the UN Security Council resolutions have also further confirmed the importance of One Belt, One Road. So this demonstrates that One Belt, One Road has become very important in the international consciousness. And it's been about four years since OBOR has been uh, initiated, and we have seen better than expected results from OBOR. It's been particularly in three different domains. One is in trade facility, the amount of investments that have been generated of by OBOR is remarkable. Also, the economic impact that has had on the countries along One Belt, One Road. So the growth is very remarkable. And also in terms of the investment between China and the countries along One Belt, One Road is now over 50 billion U.S. dollars. And this is about 20% of the total trade of China. So the growth is extremely high. The many free trade agreements have also been signed between countries along the One Belt, One Road with China. So One Belt, One Road clearly has become an important instrument in the international network. Furthermore, if we look at connectivity, connectivity plays an important role in One Belt, One Road and has wields great impact on the development of the global economy. The third domain is in the free flow of capital. We know that AIIB is a Chinese initiative and, ha and has encouraged the participation of many international players. This very much contributes to the setting up of an open financial system, one that follows international financial rules, naturally. From 2000, November of 2015 to November 2017, we've seen that AIB has provided support, financial support, to OBOR. Out of the seven developing countries in Asia provided 1.7 billion U.S. dollars in support. So this shows the free flow of funding of capital plays a very important role in the implementation of OBOR. In particular, in the developing countries, OBOR will very much support the infrastructural construction of these countries. So I think suffice to say that OBOR has achieved tremendous impact that was not expected uh, from the very beginning. In fact, if we look at the development of enterprises in China, many enterprises are strengthening their cooperation with their partners overseas. OBOR will provide more facility for enterprises in China that are interested in stepping out. 
So we've set up 56 different zones in which these enterprises can participate in. In the 56 economic zones, more, about 1,082 companies are now established in these economic zones. And the 56 economic zones have brought tax income of over 1 billion um, U.S. dollars in revenue, plus a number of jobs have been created. So this has provided great pragmatic results for the enterprises and for the investors. Earlier we talked about this tripartite cooperation. I believe there's tremendous amount of room for further development. Looking forward, I believe that we are moving from a bilateral cooperation mode into a more multilateral cooperation mode. So through the construction of OBOR, new energy will be injected into globalization, also in a new form of global governance. So during the BRF, a lot of suggestions were put forth. We believe that a multilateral mechanism like the BRF will further foster communication and exchange between all parties. So we hope to hold another BRF next year. And through the BRF, we can set up a platform in which, on which people can further communicate and exchange ideas. I believe this very much meets the needs of the different countries as well as the needs of OBOR. And it will bring about a mutually beneficial result for our parties involved. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I, I realize now that I was very, very nice to you this time, so I hope you will also remember that I was nice to you and that I didn't just cut you off. And I allowed you to go to the end, but you've made some very, very significant points. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, so I can be nice as well, Mr. Jinping. Uh, so uh, Hans Yoga, so you've been listening patiently, and I, I respect you very much for that. Um, you know, we've been talking about this for a couple of days now, and there seems to be a kind of consensus that while governments and the institutions in Europe are moving forward cautiously, business is actually quite enthused and uh, encouraged by the idea. And I was just wondering, you in such a big city as Hamburg and in charge of so many German businesses, what is your point of view? In fact, much has been said, but I would like to emphasize that Uncertainty creates, creates a lot of business risks, but also business opportunities. But we experience more than just uncertainty. We experience real disruption. And I see this in two fields. One has been said, this is, or both have been, have been said. One is the te technological uh, disruption called digitalization, which creates a completely new business models uh, and challenging traditional business models. And the other sort of disruption is the political disruption if this sort of uh, American administration keeps in office. Uh, 
uh, it is a sort of a told histoire that we are standing side by side with our Chinese friends to argue in favor of open uh, markets and uh, the diminishing of uh, tariff and non-tariff trade barriers. And uh, so, and this creates some new challenges also for the business communities uh, concerning the question, what direction will Europe take uh, in future? From the standpoint of an ordinary entrepreneur, it's just a question, what makes sure that my personal business contract with my Chinese uh, partner is fulfilled? What is the legal environment? What makes this a fair deal? Uh, we do not want to have America first. We do not need Europe first. We do not want to have China first. We want to have a fair environment where personal business contracts just work out in a smooth way. So uh, from this standpoint, I see this Orbor initiative as an invitation to all countries on the Eurasian continent at least to be part of such a multilateral approach. And for us as Europeans, it is the question whether we should put the same sort of energy we put into the TTIP negotiations into negotiations with all those countries uh, China and all the others uh, along this traditional road, which is not just one road. Uh, I, I would like to emphasize this mm -hmm. point too. It's several roads. It's several railway tracks. It's the seaway. Uh, if you look on this from the standpoint of the astronomy of goods, uh, certainly, there is a new astronomy, which is the virtual reality of the Internet, where you have trade and services and so on. But uh, if you look, for example, on the success of, of Alibaba and, and, and other Chinese enterprises, which challenge uh, European uh, retailers and so on, you can order textiles and sunglasses and everything, and you have it within four weeks at your house uh, where you live. Uh, and this needs quite a ch uh, developed logistics. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, there I would like to emphasize that the seaways is and will remain very, very important. Uh, and I share this with my Italian friend, but uh, we should make clear that uh, the seaway going also to Rotterdam and Antwerp and uh, Hamburg, which are the three main ports in, in Europe. And these, the significance of the Chinese trade is shown by some numbers I would like to tell you. Looking on the 10 million containers we have in Hamburg, 3 million are dealt with China. And it's three times more than the next client of our harbor. The next client is Singapore. The third client is Russia. Yeah. And this shows you the, highly connectivity, the high connectivity we have already on the Eurasian continent. Um, we have now seven trains per week going from Hamburg via Belarus and Russia to Shenzhen and, and the Shanghai region, which uh, shows that uh, this land connection is already also functioning 
but it's still in terms of quantity very little compared to the seaway. And it will remain this for a very long time as we have all these te technical problems, border crossing problems and so on. Uh, for the moment it's, it's, a, it's a connection for high valued and time sensitive goods. Um, and we have to develop this further uh, as this virtual reality which will increase will create also more demand for changing goods because at the end of the day we all consume goods and uh, if people order this in the internet uh, then they want to consume this uh, in, in, in due time. So uh, I think um, we as Europeans have now to deal with the question are we the bridge uh, that brings the globe together between the United States, uh, Americas, and, uh, and China, and all its neighbors. Uh, for the moment, I, I must say we have to look more closely on China uh, and our neighbors uh, to the east, as the, here we can find, for the moment at least, the true friends of globalization. Thank you. Thank you very much comments worth waiting for. Uh, we have now, uh, I'm going to take some time off from your coffee breaks and I think you uh, probably uh, will appreciate that we need to have a discussion now. So uh, I would like to open the floor now to comments and, and questions from yourselves. The panelists have said something, some very, very interesting, significant comments and different perspectives. So could I see a show of hands to see how many people would like to come in at this point? Yes, and yes, I do see. So, uh, yes, and I see uh, three hands at the moment. Great. Should we start with Jan Willem Blanket, please? Could you take the... And then we have Fu Jing. And then we have Carlos here, please, to start off with. Yes, and I see you too. Thank you. Uh, my name is Willem Blanket. I've been many years in a diplomat for the European Union. Um, what I take away, f and I, I was fascinated by all the, the, the vision, the practical points from the harbors, Venice and, and Hamburg. What I, have, what I took away from the forum yesterday was um, the, the practical thing, and I repeated, of the telephone number, which sounds a bit like a joke, but it was the word institutionalization, uh, very difficult word. Uh, there was the suggestion made by Bogdan from Warsaw, who referred to the, uh, the secretariat that will be opened soon in Budapest for the 16.2 plus 1 initiative. Um, to put it very simple, would it be possible to have in time a one-stop shop where business, which seems to be eager to, to, to know more about it and even to invest and has ideas, where to go to, and not and even if even the port of Venice has to go to here and to there, you mentioned different names, uh, for a small business especially, and even bigger businesses, uh, this is difficult. Uh, would it be invisible right. within a year yeah. or so to have a one-stop shop for the, the O-Board? Right, thank you, Jan Willem. Uh, Fujing, please. Uh, please put up your hand, Fujing, so my colleague Nassim can see you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Sharda. I'm Fujin from Channel Daily in Brussels. I will have a very short com uh, observation about uh, Belt and Road Initiative within uh, European Union. 
uh, my observation is that there is an uh, understanding gap, you know, uh, I, I, I mean, you know, different uh, groups of people, different, uh, you know, uh, different, uh, you know, uh, member states, uh, they have this kind of, uh, you know, uh, understanding gap. Uh, first, uh, there, is, uh, you know, there is a gap between uh, West Europe and the Central and the East Europe. You know, you can say it's uh, quite obvious. And the second, uh, uh, you know, the uh, understanding gap is, uh, you know, between EU and the member states. And the third uh, gap is uh, politicians and the businessmen. You know, that's, uh, you know, uh, the, the, you know, three uh, understanding gap. Uh, that, uh, that's my uh, observation. And uh, my question, I have a very, you know, uh, uh, I have uh, one question to uh, uh, Professor Tsu and also to my, uh, you know, friend from Hamburg, uh, because, you know, the G20 summit uh, is there. Uh, uh, we, you know, we know that uh, BRI is uh, such an important global initiative now, but uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, shortly after BRI summit in Beijing, uh, the G7 summit was held in Italy. Uh, from the communique, you can see that there is no single paragraph on BRI, uh, but now uh, G20 is ahead. Uh, what is your expectations uh, towards the uh, G20 uh, summit? How BRI should enrich the agenda right. of the G20? Thank you. Thank you. So I could just say Fujing is not just a journalist. He's an award-winning journalist. He's written more stories about the European Union than I think any European journalist has, to be quite frank with you, Fujing. So thank you very much. Olos, please. Where are you? Just put up your hand. Yeah. Good day, Aris Kokinos from Eurobol.com. Uh, on the railroad side, uh, the One Belt, One Road initiative, the train already linking China and the European Union makes Russia an unavoidable actor of the OBAR. Uh, Mr. Pildegovic, you have mentioned the possibility of integrating Belarus to the OBAR scheme. Do you think that it could be also an opportunity to bring the EU and the Russian Federation closer despite this period of renewed sanctions? Okay, so anyone else want to come in at this point? It's of course, yes. Uh, Raphael, do you see the gentleman? Just keep your hand up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, good morning. My name is Sanjeev Kumar. I'm the founder of Change Partnership, an environmental NGO. Um, this is a fascinating conversation. I, I think there's one thing that's missing from this is the recognition that at the present, the, the Belt and Road Initiative is a very dirty, fossil-intensive, damaging to the Paris Agreement and the possibility of closer cooperation, not just between China and Europe, but all of the other countries in between who are locked into a high-carbon pathway. So I'd be interested to know if the panel, if they want to be brave, do we need to have a platform, as some of our speakers and some of our questioners have asked, or do we need to have a common rule setting to ensure that we have clean infrastructure, clean steel, clean cement, clean energy systems rather than the fossil intensive uh, investments that have already been made and ultimately are going to make the perception of the BRI much more antagonistic rather than um, uh, rewarding and encouraging and inclusive. Thank you. Thank you very much for that question. Thank you very much indeed. I've got four questions. Is there any? I can take one more. Yes. Ed Wells, please, HSBC. Keep your hand up, Ed.
Uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, my question actually follows on from the previous one slightly. I, I was going to ask, what, what do you see as the main barriers to bringing in the private sector finance that will, will be needed to, to complete the infrastructure and to provide the greater connectivity that Belt and Road promises the EU, China, and the 60 or so countries that are uh, connect directly um, uh, linked through, through Belt and Road? And what can we do to, together to overcome them? Uh, maybe just picking up that last question, you know, how do we integrate sustainability into some of these, uh, into this infrastructure? Because I think my, my view is that the private finance, the investors who would like to participate will want that kind of assurance uh, if, if they are to commit the sums of money that, that we think are needed and that we think the majority of those sums of money need to come from the private sector. Right. So what are the barriers? What can we over, do to overcome them? Thank right. you. Right. Thank you very much. Four very interesting questions, diverse points of view. Uh, can we go backwards? Uh, can I start with you, Hans Jürger? Uh, yes. Um, I would uh, like uh, to emphasize that we have to see that there is a world of politics, uh, but there is also the world of non-governmental institutions, and we have to transfer this concept also to this world. Uh, looking on my business world, this is the world then of uh, trade associations, uh, industry organizations, and chambers of commerce. And what I can observe is that uh, the chambers of commerce and the uh, industrial associations have created uh, associations along the Belt and Road Initiative. So, um, that, th therefore, I can say that the business community already has organized itself in a way. Uh, this is not yet perfect, it's just a beginning because it's also highly multilateral. There are th up to 30, 40 mm -hmm different partners within these organizations with all these intercultural problems, certainly in, in, in the dialogue, but it's a beginning. And, uh, and I think it's, uh, it's a very good beginning for the business community as, they, as the chambers of commerce, for example, can, uh, can uh, deliver you partners along uh, all these uh, different uh, areas. So if there are any problems, uh, you can approach friends in these partner organizations uh, that have gathered within this newly transnational organizations fostered by, uh, by this uh, Belt and Road Initiative. Do you want to just come in quickly about the G20 summit? I mean, it will take place in Hamburg, your place yes. there. Thank you very much. Uh, this is going to be a very, very difficult uh, summit. and. Uh, we are all wondering whether there will be any results about this. But what I can say, and I already said it in a way, uh, it will be very different uh, to former summits. And I think that we will see, for example, our Chancellor, Mrs. Merkel, side by side with uh, the Chinese President Xi Jinping, arguing in favor of free and open, open markets and multilateral, the multilateral approach and uh, we hope so much that the American friends will find their curve to come back uh, again. Uh, but if not, we will have a really a new direction in which we have to look. And this will be, I think, the main question uh, during the summit. 
So really a kind of geopolitical shift, uh, actually, in the making at G20. Thank you very much in that, for that. Uh, Mr. Zhao Jinping, would you like to comment on some of the questions about the one-stop shop and sustainability, etc.? But, but this time, I'm not going to let you go over time. So uh, the, the, good girl's, the good girl is gone now. <laughs> Thank you very much. As I, I would uh, stick to my uh, commitment uh, that I made for you for the uh, six uh, questions, actually, I could address all of them. But um, to comply with my commitment, I just address the question you posed just now. And uh, during our uh, studies for um, Actually, international companies, the Chinese companies, and also various organizations, they have raised the similar questions. Uh, it's very difficult for them to find a direct one-stand um, one service kind of uh, a window that offers a direct service for them. For um, the OBOR vision, China is uh, pulling up all the energy of the country to participate into the Web Belt and Road Initiative. So if you uh, go to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, if you go to NDRC or um, go to various uh, ministries, they have uh, all the uh, responsibility and uh, certain mechanisms uh, to the, for the participation of the Belt and Road Initiative. For example, NDRC has the uh, steering group of the uh, Belt and Road Initiative. And the last uh, month when I went to the United States to participate in the uh, Sino-US uh, dialogue. And uh, Mr. Xiao, he's uh, also from the uh, steering office of the uh, BRI, and he addressed uh, many questions uh, um, in this uh, fashion. And he also gave his uh, personal telephone numbers uh, to the uh, American um, colleagues. And uh, the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs, our uh, diplomats uh, colleagues, uh, will also provide all kinds of facilitation assistance to this kind of requests and questions. For example, uh, Ambassador Yang and also the uh, uh, Chinese uh, mission to EU, I believe that they can also provide uh, this kind of service and also assistance. And also think tanks uh, of China that are stationed outside China. And if you have such a request, I can bring your request back to China and to um, set up such a bridge. And because DRC, we are official think tank, and to um, uh, provide our service to the uh, policy making and also to build a platform and build a bridge so that uh, the uh, businesses and also think tanks um, in China can uh, communicate with the international colleagues. So I believe there's no confusion there as long as I can, you, you can identify a, a Chinese agencies uh, or to start with the uh, Chinese embassies in your territory. I believe that uh, they can uh, address your questions and requests accordingly. Thank you. Sure. Pino, where do you start? Uh, you want me to guide you? <laughs> well, a couple of things from the question that were raised. Uh, yes, yes, of course, we should think uh, to a you know a one-stop shop for uh, you know um, government organizations or anyway whoever wants to play a role in the OBOR. Uh, initiative from from European sides because what what I've seen so far we we don't really have clear ideas on the points and how to you know steer the people that are interested so yes first point on the agenda that it's quite an easy one uh, we should settle something like that on the other hand we shouldn't go on the direction of building again a huge humongous organization that should be doing this because I've been already burned by that 
uh, either in Italy and in, in the EU organizations. We should streamline a little bit more the tools that we're using for you know, promoting and exchanging uh, ideas with, uh, with the rest of the world. And that, that's for, for, you know, for sure a point that, that as Europeans we can, we can work on that. But definitely it sh there should be a, a you know, small but very efficient office that can address and directly put into relationship uh, you know, realities of ports, uh, infrastructures, developers and, and you know, investors uh, in order to, to give a, a direct feedback to that, that works according to the times of the markets and not to the times of the governments uh, that sometimes are disaligned. And if I may, um, there, are, there were another couple of, of things that I sure. really think they are significant. Uh, to the gentleman who raised the point, uh, shall we have a common uh, set of rules in order to make the, the whole procedure cleaner, better, and, and faster? Absolutely. But, you know, again, we start with a small step, that, which is bringing together, uh, you know, EU which is a, a reality, and China, which is not a huge reality on, on a world stage. And we, since we start to work together, we can, you know, hybrid it, uh, each other and, 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 and bring something to, to, to China, and China brings something to us. And, and therefore, since we have done quite a lot of efforts, we have performed quite a lot of efforts in Europe in order to have regulations that are bringing that to a high, significant level. I, I, I would like to give an example. I, I've been recently to Vietnam. Because, of course, we, we need to work also with all the countries that are in between the, uh, you know, China and, and Italy or Europe. And, and for the Bhutan cluster ports, um, they, uh, they were really seeking for know-how on how to, you know, uh, regenerate uh, areas that have been uh, heavily hit by, by uh, industrial um, overuse. And since we are a sort of, of, of European case for that, because the, the port I represent has been severely damaged by, by wrong choices in the 50s, but now we are regenerating heavily the whole thing uh, and, and, and doing uh, quite a lot of uh, projects in order to make the whole uh, development of the port area sustainable, we can share and exchange uh, know-how and, and best practices, and that's what exactly we are doing. So, of course... If you are asking me, can we do that tomorrow, I, I would say no. But going back to my first opening statement, if we are pragmatic, we can do that time by time. We get closer to more efficiency and they get closer to a cleaner, better way of, of devising and, and developing infrastructures. Right. Thank you very much. In fact, I mean, uh, from what I saw at the BRF, the Chinese have never have always said this is also a learning process, that they want transfer of technology and ideas uh, and know-how from, from Europe. Ying Jiang, please. Yeah, thank you. Uh, if I uh, review all the questions raised up by audience, I'm very happy to see that uh, no one asked a question about why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 Fu uh, Fu Jing um, uh, raised a question about what, understanding gap, and all the other questions about how. This is great, mm -hmm. which means that we already reached to the point that we have the common sense, one belt, one road is a great thing. So the next step is how to do it. About the understanding gap, this only matter of communication, right? Only matter of information transmission and information transparency. With technology online and offline, we can reach that, no problem. And uh, with the common sense that we are going to the inclusive, integrative society, the information will transfer faster. 
but to the point of uh, how to do it, I always said to my students and to my colleagues, this is the problem responsibility of our education. I'm from business education. In business school, including Harvard Business School, Walton, whatever, we never talk about the standard conduct morality of business, of sustainability, how to do a business in a sustainable way, how to do inclusive way, how to be social responsible. We only teach students how to make more money, how to consider others as a competitor enemy rather than as a stakeholders. So this is against. So from this sense, I really think that maybe next year we can move our forum to university and invite government from different corners coming in, business coming in, and parallel discuss problems and issues and try to use the social innovation and social entrepreneurship business model, which I mean hybrid model, that start from the social problem, trying to solve the social okay. problem, then reach to the hybrid uh, uh, consequences. You can make money, you can also reach the economies of scale and uh, helping uh, people from different places. And in that sense, we can also push government to be faster, more efficient, to get regulation, to be more collaborative between China, Europe, and US, or different uh, places, and to get regulation, and then we try. In uh, scholar, in, in economics, we call it uh, uh, institutional entrepreneurship. Right. And this is the only way we can go. And then we can reach the you know, the other side of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Thank you. A great deal of food for thought there. Thank you very much. Andrea, several questions that I think might be worth your while to answer. These divisions that Fu Jing referred to, also the question on Russia. Well, thank you. Uh, maybe just, uh, I'll start with a question about one, sh one shop or one-stop agency. Uh, my experience tells me that uh, it's better to adapt existing national institutions and mm -hmm. multilateral institutions to deal with the challenges. We don't need another European Commission or another really supranational institution. And uh, the homework is actually on all sides, on the both sides, including uh, in the Chinese government as well. Uh, just one example, historically, Ministry of Transportation of China has not been used to international cooperation and projects. And they are going through adaptation and it's the same applies for us. Uh, within regional frameworks, like 16 plus 1 has been mentioned, we have a, a, a bit of uh, division of labor of coordination. For instance, Bulgarians do more coordination on agricultural products. Hungarians do more on tourism. Latvians on logistics. Uh, Serbs on transportation, etc. That might be a model, but even that uh, division uh, is a little bit artificial, and uh, I think adaptation of existing institutions is very important. I think uh, a few of uh, speakers and in the audience uh, we have main mentioned existing transportation networks, uh, transportation networks which we are building in Europe. For instance, in the Baltic we are de developing this high-speed rail uh, connecting north and uh, south of Europe, north and uh, west of Europe. And the trick is how to connect those plans with the adjacent countries and maybe with the Belt and Road Initiative. Of course, it has to be done in a commercially viable way, 
according to the existing legislation in Europe. But, but I think it is possible. Uh, Hamburg uh, has those uh, trains. Uh, we have had uh, both directions uh, test trains uh, going via Belarus, Russia, Kazakhstan. Uh, I think these uh, energies have produced good results. They have to be continued. Uh, on sanctions, uh, well, I don't have a crystal ball, but uh, we believe that the last three years have shown that uh, we, we have been able to, to develop those networks, and certainly we are interested to continue that. And uh, we should not forget those countries in between, be it Georgia through the northern, southern route, or Kazakhstan, Belarus, Ukraine, Moldova in, in, in the east. One, one quick question, because Hans Jürger said something that was really interesting. I think he said uh, maybe we in Europe should put the same uh, effort and energy in uh, discovering and working on BRI as we did, or we are, in TTIP. I was wondering, I thought this was an excellent well, remark. Well, I think uh, some of you have heard an old uh, quote saying that uh, globalization doesn't crush you by not engaging, it just leaves you out. I think, uh, metaphorically, uh, Belt and Road Initiative could be described in a similar way. It provides additional platform. It uh, provides a way to, 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 to advance our partnership. I am not uh, entirely skeptical about TTIP, to be very frank. Okay, I, that's I another debate. <laughs> I, I hope uh, it's not a subject for this discussion, but I hope that one day we will come back uh, to, to the subject. And uh, I think this inclusive nature of today's discussion uh, and the Hamburg summit might be helpful in that respect, also to, to advance a bit more understanding on the future of globalization and global trade and governance. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Very good. Thank you very much. So, Dr. Shifulin, for your final words, I mean, quite, quite a few questions, including on private sector financing, uh, etc. Thank you. I think this discussion, or rather my feelings for the discussion, let me try to sum it up in a few answers. When we talk about OBOR, there are three issues that we need to focus on. Whether or not we acknowledge OBOR or not, we cannot deny that it is an important instrument in globalization as well as its functions in regionalization. It pushes forward a spirit of openness and inclusiveness. This also cannot be denied. I think this is one thing that we need to agree on. And as Shada mentioned, in the last three years, we've seen a transformation from the bilateral to the multilateral. So we need a coordination mechanism as well as a governance mechanism. Will we now transform from a bilateral model to a multilateral model? And how can we push forward the multilateral aspects of OBOR? I think these are issues that we need to examine. the f functionalities of OBOR. What are the functionalities? We need to adjust to what OBOR can bring to us. 
For example, for the enterprises, there should be a OBOR, Chamber of Commerce, if you will, that will coordinate with the EU-China Chamber of Commerce. And we should also establish a communication mechanism between either enterprises or between governments. So I think that's the next step, uh, setting up this communication or coordination mechanism. Furthermore, as we discuss OBOR, what are the choices that are offered to China and Europe? I think there are many different ideas and views of OBR, but what are our choices? If we look at the services sector, the growth of services is the fastest in China. In the last three years, the annum growth rate of services is about 15 percent, compared to the global average of about 5 percent. And between China and Europe, probably about 13 percent in terms of the growth of trade and services. So if we do the math, if this 12 percent can be increased to 20 percent, this means there will be an increase of 200 billion U.S. dollars in terms of exports from Europe to China. So when we look at OBOR, the issues that we really need to focus on is what, the cho what are the choices that we should make in terms of how we approach OBOR? I think that's actually a very important starting point. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of this first session from vision to action. And I think we have elaborated some action-oriented uh, projects and, and, and the way ahead as well. Uh, please, there is coffee outside, but I would like you back in by quarter to 12. I'd like to thank the two wonderful interpreters who've been going full steam since yesterday afternoon. Thank you so much. If you could be back, everyone, at quarter to 12, we have a discussion on uh, the changing global landscape with a focus on Cecilia Malmstrom and how the geopolitics of our world are changing. So please join me in thanking our panelists for this wonderful conversation and uh, see you outside. Thank you.